I'm Danielle Houston. I'm a benefits advisor at Propel Insurance. I'm a licensed life and disability agent in the state of Washington, and I have nearly 20 years of experience spanning health insurance operations to brokerage and this consulting from self-insured companies and, and plans and fully insured. I'm really passionate about helping employers create solutions in this ever-changing, shift-changing puzzle that we call employee benefits. And this is my year in review. As I was putting together notes for this podcast, it was really hard to ignore how much 2017 has thrown at us really from every direction. What a crazy year it has been. I really appreciate taking time to reflect back and take some inventory, but then plan for the year to come. So I hope you are intentionally planning to make good things happen both at work and at home in the new year. To say there's a lot going on right now would also be a huge understatement. For months, we've been subjected to a whole new level of blustering of the political sort. And to cap 2017, we've finally seen some legislation pass in the form of the Tax Cuts and Job Act. A few things will be impacted in health insurance. After the failed attempts earlier this year with the Affordable Care Act and any kind of repealing that, I was a little surprised to see that they could get anything together, but here we are. And there are a few key points that we will be working around in the years ahead. Four primary points that I really wanted to tackle as far as, you know, what what are the changes that are going to be very specific to the health insurance arena that we're in. As it stands now, the first one, you have to spend 10% of your adjusted gross income in order to qualify to take a deduction for medical expenses on your tax return. This tax cuts and and job act reduces that down to 7.5% for tax years 2017 and 18, but it does look like it's going to phase out after that. They've eliminated the individual mandate, kind of a big deal. That won't start until January of 2019. But, you know, interestingly enough, there was some IRS guidance back in November that made it clear they were going to require verification. They weren't just going to take this honor system of sorts with saying, you know, just check a box, yes or no, if you have health insurance. That has not changed. So it would appear that the IRS is going to be asking more questions and likely will want to see your 1095 and that we might see more penalties this year than we have in the past. I guess time will tell. But another interesting piece that came out of the act is something called the bicycle benefit. And if you're an employer that offers these transportation benefits, uh, which today would mean you know you can basically give a, a tax benefit with things like transit passes, parking, bicycle commuting, van pool. So you can still offer these, but there's not going to be the same tax advantage. And this is slated for tax years beginning after December 31st, 2017. So right around the corner here. So what we would recommend, and this is, you know, based on some of our partner recommendations from Navia Benefit Solutions, 
Next steps, if you provide that bicycle benefit right now, it, you'll need to determine if you want to suspend or terminate the benefit or keep providing it, but it's going to be on a taxable basis. And so work closely with your payroll provider and your tax accountant to ensure that your benefit is going to conform to the new law. And if you want to make changes, then the vendor that you're working with, whether it's Navia or someone else, would need to work with you to make those changes. And of course, we can help with that. We should be involved in coordinating any changes that need to happen in the communication that may need to roll out to your employees there. So what is staying the same? This is where we have, you know, at least four things I've identified that are definitely staying the same. The employer mandate. Nothing in the act eliminates that or the reporting requirement. And that one I found a little bit disappointing because that seems like a great, you know, low-hanging fruit of sorts that the feds could eliminate that requirement for reporting that's been so cumbersome to employers. And it would probably feel really good to not have to do that. So as it stands today, we have to continue to prepare and, and collect all of the data that is necessary to distribute the 1095 and also make that 1094 transmission back to the IRS. The Cadillac tax, this was another one that it's been out there for so long. It was delayed, so it's never rolled out. It was supposed to be effective in, in uh, 2016, and then it was pushed to 2018, and now it's 2020. We really thought that was going to get knocked out in whatever legislation was passed. That's not the case. But we'll, you know, we'll see what happens with that in, in the months and years ahead, too. But the other piece is the federal health insurance tax was reintroduced uh, for 2018. So I'll talk a little bit more about that later. Uh, but that tax and the other taxes that were introduced with the Affordable Care Act are still in play. And, you know, personally, I have some questions about where those might be going since the feds have eliminated their subsidies and so many other things that are connected to the Affordable Care Act. In some separate news, the IRS did announce last week an extension for employers to distribute those 1095s you have until March 2nd this year. I'm not really sure how much of a benefit that really is because at least, you know, from my conversations with all of you, getting those out with the W-2s seems like just the most effective way to get it done. It saves a lot of questions and it is not uncommon to have employees that want to file their tax return as soon as they have their w 2 So delaying those 1095s can be painful after the first year, and I think we've all figured out how to get them done and how to get them out. I'm not really sure how much of a benefit is there, but you have a little extra time if you want. Now, the individual mandate, you know, this is one we've already been seeing the impact of changes there. Once the Affordable Care Act repeal efforts were shot down, the feds started withdrawing their subsidies, and we saw carriers submitting second sets of rates because I think everyone kind of suspected that's exactly what would happen. If legislation couldn't be passed to eliminate certain things, then they would pull the money. And of course, if they pull the money, that leaves carriers with huge losses that really end up coming back to bite consumers. So as you know, some consequence from all of these things, we've had carriers in Washington that have pulled out of those individual markets, and the costs have just jumped this year in particular. 
the group markets continue to remain pretty stable. I would say that I have seen higher increases in January and February than I have probably in the last couple years, just as a you know general observation. But for the most part, your demographics on the employer group side are just so different. And a lot of people that have had continual health care or at least access to health care and the health insurance, and that's that's been very favorable in many ways. So my biggest concern in looking at these changes on the individual side is that as carriers lose out on the individual market and they have these shortfalls, they are going to have to look at other parts of their, I'll call it their business pie, to make that up. And the most stable slice they have is the employer segment, which you know really feels unfair because employer plans are already bearing the brunt of these other taxation pieces and other fees from not only the Affordable Care Act, but even the Washington State 2% B&O tax. And your provider contracts, these contracts that doctors sign with health insurance carriers, when they come to the t- table to negotiate those rates for their services, they are really looking at everything they have written off and lost, whether it be on the uninsured population or maybe Medicare and Medicaid patients. They look at those shortfalls and they are contracting and trying to make that back up out of these private plans that we have, these private group-sponsored employer plans. So we're paying higher fees already when we have benefits that are offered to us through our employers. So there's a lot of interesting and, you know, I would call it unjust things that are being shouldered onto these group plans and these employer-sponsored benefits, a really vicious cycle that most of our patients, most of our members on the group side really don't have much visibility into. Once it comes past a patient, you know, understanding how much comes out of their check for their benefits or how much it costs them to go to the doctor, everything that comes that happens behind that curtain is a real mystery and not a lot of connection between the cost for how much it is for me to have this good or service tying that back to how much my health insurance really costs. And so one of my focuses especially in this last few months when I think ahead about, you know, what can we do and really where are some of the things where we can make some impact I'm really working and drawing these distinctions between health insurance and health care. These get intermingled for us often when we talk. And everything that has happened up to this point legislatively does not actually reduce the cost of our real health care. What does it cost when I get sick in America? Whether it's a surgery or picking up a prescription. So with nothing there to manage any of some of these crazy costs, you know, until we have some relief from those costs of actual care, we aren't going to have any relief on the cost of our insurance. And most of our members don't really fully understand that correlation, but I think it's really important that they do because the more they see that, whether it's you know seeing the cost of their prescription when they pick it up at a large national retailer or if they're picking it up at a big Costco-style warehouse, 
or if they are looking around at what that MRI is going to cost them, that's where I think we really will start to energize a public to start asking some really hard questions and demand some accountability in more areas than just how much my health insurance costs. I'm a really firm believer that the only way to see that shift is to pull back these curtains and let them see the costs and really start engaging them in a whole new way, not just to understand how their benefits work, but how much these things cost. So some things I'm really encouraged by, I have to end all of this on a really good note, of course, but you know, I also want to be a voice of, of calm and hope here and as we chart the future, but things I'm encouraged by. Accountable care networks. Carriers are really investing here and providers are engaging in some new ways. They are putting their skin in the game, so to speak, with care efficiency and care quality and the cost of that care. It's a newer way to reduce costs and to even ask our employees, what are they willing to trade? So often, you know, we're making those decisions for them and having an accountable care network gives an option of, for instance, if you would really like to have a lower deductible, if you'd really like that lower out-of-pocket maximum, then would you be willing to maybe go see a provider only at University of Washington, or maybe your only in-network provider is Swedish? It's an interesting ask, and again, a new way to pull back some curtains, and we've got every carrier that's really making some changes and making some things available here, and some maturing in that process as well, which is nice to see. Pharmacy options are another place. You know, pharmacy is a huge area of expense. And a few years ago, there were industry predictions that pharmacy would make up 20 to 25% of premium dollars. And I think their target year was maybe 2020. And I only laugh a little bit because I'm seeing most of my clients already close to that 20 to 25% mark. And some of them that are closer to 30%. So the costs here, are skyrocketing and the things that I know I've been talking with you about and that we certainly will continue to talk about as we get together in this new year, options around the pharmacy to also create some transparency, create some better buying behaviors from people. So some of these things include narrowed pharmacy networks. So very similar to creating this accountable care network of medical provider, you know, perhaps offering a pharmacy network that would require you to maybe only have three or four pharmacies in your network. Expanding the tiers, we're seeing several carriers on the fully insured side have as many as six different pharmacy tiers, but the most common at this point is to see an inclusion of a fourth tier. It's a specialty tier and it has a higher cost share for a patient who would be taking a specialty drug. And they most often then also have to get that drug through the specialty mail order. They can't just go to any pharmacy to pick that up. We're also seeing more restrictive formularies being offered. There's a lot of cost savings that is tagged on to these formulary options as well. They're more restrictive in the sense that, you know, a patient might have to do some step therapy, meaning they have to try some other prescriptions first, or they have to go through a pre-authorization process. 
And I understand these things don't feel good to patients, and yet they are steps and and things that are designed to help manage all of our costs together because you know if pharmacy is is going to spend 25 to 30 cents of every dollar we spend on the premium then the more we can work together to spend less in this area and to create some safeguards there then we're helping to manage all of our costs together as well Another piece I'm seeing a lot more of, some of the carriers on the fully insured side have already required it, which is if you take a maintenance drug, then you have to use mail order. If you're self-funded, then I think this is a really interesting piece to consider. I think it's a great preventive measure as well. There is so much cost savings in mail order. There's cost savings for your plan, but there's also great cost savings as the patient. You know, if they have lower cost shares for using that, it's a win for them and it's a win for your plan spend. And yet we see really low utilization in mail order across the board. So I think anything we can do there is a huge help. Other things I find encouraging are more transparency tools. A few years ago, um, you know, technology was creating some great tools to take this big data that was just kind of hanging out there with nothing attached to it, you know, and they've they've put this into some different platforms where you can shop and compare. And that is amazing. And we're seeing some carriers really jump into this kind of, you know, head first and put together more tools that patients can use to shop around, whether it's your MRI or your x-rays or your prescriptions and what do other patients say about these prescriptions. And, you know, if your kid needs tubes in their ears, who's ranked best and what should you expect in terms of cost. These are all things that pull back the curtains and I love it so much. None of us want to spend more on our healthcare than we are right now. And of course, most of us would love to spend less. These tools actually give us the ability to do that so we can make better buying decisions. Another little gem that I have loved in 2017, Cigna announced back on Veterans Day that they were going to be offering what is I would describe as an employee assistance program, but it is for active military or retired military. It's available 24-7. You don't have to be a Cigna member. I thought that was a really great way to give back to the community. Love that. And looking ahead in 2018, nothing has really changed from a compliance standpoint. I just encourage you to keep doing what you've been doing. And if you have questions about whether or not you're doing it all correctly or if there's something more you should be doing, then let's get together and talk about that. Those penalties are still going to be assessed for not complying or for not reporting, so let's stay on track there. That health insurer tax, like I mentioned earlier, still in play, and it varies based on the carrier. So you're going to see an increase of anywhere from 2 to maybe 3% that's back in your fully insured premiums. Not really sure where that's all going since all the federal dollars have been pulled back, but it's still there. On the health savings account side, we're seeing increased amounts there that you can set aside in 2018. So if you enroll by yourself, you can save $3,450 tax-free. And if you're enrolling with a family, it's $6,900. And if you have a flexible spending account, we have the option of increasing that to $2,650 in the new year ahead. So there's a couple of little great benefits, I guess, there to, to hang on to. 
As 2018 unfolds and the legislators come back into their sessions, I'm sure there will be more developments, more things that we have to tackle. But I would love to know what are some other things that you would like to hear. I'm excited about digging into some different topics related to health care or health insurance, what's going on in our market or maybe nationally. But um, I would love to explore some things that you're interested in and present those back here in this forum. And I think lastly, uh, not only do I wish you a safe and happy New Year celebration, but a 2018 that is full of all the sweet things life has to offer, uh, great health, uh, prosperity, joy, love, all of that. We are in this together. Happy New Year.